welcome to episode number 104 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast. We are recording on February the 7th, 2021. My name is Eric, host of the show. I'm based in Southern Ontario. I'm a part-time absentee host. <laughs> I missed that in the show notes. Four <laughs> 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 oh. episodes, you finally got me. Uh, also, hunter, target shooter, ham radio operator, and computer geek. Uh, As first responder, I witnessed over-reliance on emergency services during major events, and I started a small preparedness company to uh, continue being an absentee business operator and to help people get better prepared for at least 72 hours, if not longer. Ian, you're fired. My name is Ian, and I pre-read the show notes before I start the podcast. I live on Vancouver Island. I was a student in preparedness, target shooter, my farm's default handyman. Until I die or they find somebody better. Or we burn it down. I'm Alan. I'm a safety trainer, first responder, security expert, and overall safety nerd. And I'm Hughes from Nova Scotia. I'm a Canadian Armed Forces veteran, volunteer firefighter and platoon captain, and also a volunteer search and rescue technician and prepper. Um, I've been preaching and living the prepper lifestyle to varying degrees now for about six years. Everywhere except his YouTube channel. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, <laughs> spicy tonight. Uh, I'm glad I'm Paramedic. I split my time between southern and northern Ontario. Uh, I kind of want to borrow Ian's tagline about being a student of preparedness. Uh, and I just don't accept the assumption that things will always carry on as is. Case in point, COVID. Which is probably a great way to look at life. If you want to help support the show, keep the Canadian Prepper Podcast on the air, buy some swag. We have both Canadian Prepper Podcast t-shirt and really fantastic, awesome tactical Velcro patches at www.prepperpodcast.ca. All proceeds go to keeping the lights on the backup generator fueled. All right, if you're enjoying the show, please take a few minutes to like us on Facebook and submit a review on iTunes. We got one tonight. Also, we want your feedback, good or bad, or if there's just a topic you want us to cover, you can email us at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. So I've read this section and I realize that there's no bombs in it. So we have some history making content in this episode for you. We're going to start off with some preparedness related news articles. Next, we'll let you know what we've done for preparedness since last episode. Then we're going to get into the main topic, personal lessons learned and how we got into preparedness. So let's move into some news. Uh, just to follow up on last week's note, uh, the coup in Myanmar doesn't seem to be going away. Um, the military is trying has uh, blacked out the internet, but people are still protesting. So that's uh, that seems like it's going to get worse before it gets better. And uh, hopefully the uh, hopefully the government gets what's coming to them, and it's not good for them. All right. Actually, I don't know much more than I guess it was. The, it's the military has taken over, but they didn't like the results of the election or something. Yeah, there was a there was a quote-unquote election that was um, a significant runaway for some reason and under threats of it being um, tampered with and manipulated uh, the military came in and um, uh, arrested or detained or otherwise disappeared the top members of the of the government including their head of state which I believe is referred to as a prime minister and um, without without any knowledge or or um, or without any without any backing or any particular legal right that anybody can figure out, so um, it sounds like the people that were supposed to win didn't, and now the army's mad about it. You know, this is about the time to make a Dominion voting joke, right? <laughs> 
Well, anyway. I mean, realistically, it was a paper-based system and still didn't get the right outcome. But I think uh, Kim Jong-un has the same thing, right? He's got like 103% voter turnout and 104% of the popular vote. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah. Uh, that was good. Um, okay, for myself, I've got, uh, and no surprise to anyone, I guess the BC government has extended the emergency situation in BC indefinitely. So I hate being great about government being shitty. But um, yeah, instead of just going two weeks at a time, they said, you know what? We like these powers. We're just going to keep them forever. So uh, they basically said, yeah, from now on, until infinity and beyond, uh, we're in a state of emergency. So, like, wow. Know. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Very interesting. I, I bet you there can't be elections during an emergency either, can there? Yeah. Very uh, interesting how that hmm. works. Hmm. That is interesting. Right, so I've uh, I've got an article here. It's uh, from September 2020, so it's a little bit dated, September 21st, but uh, just indicates that uh, the Prime Minister should create permanent emergency preparedness cabinet committee, uh, say experts, uh, political players, be prepared for the next natural disaster, terrorist act, or health crisis is the objective. So I guess that means they weren't really planning for anything prior? Well, it sounds like a great idea, which means it'll probably never happen. Yeah, exactly. Great idea now that a whole bunch of stuff's happening. A little bit too late? A little bit too late. Yeah. It's like closing the barn door once the horses keep already. But um, <laughs> So for myself, uh, this is an article that is probably two months old now uh, from the BBC. It's why preppers are going mainstream. Um, and it's just a really good article to show that um, a lot of preppers are going mainstream just like the article says they're they're coming out of the woodwork so to speak because um i guess the pandemic has humanized preppers um whereas they used to see us as you know doomsday survivalists and you know what you would see in the doomsday prepper show um a lot of people were coming forward and it's it's much more accepted now so there's a lot more uh mainstream coverage on preppers um both in social media and the traditional uh media as well so it's worth a read yeah, I had it up just before the show came on, and um, it is. Uh, it's a great read. It's a, it's a good one. So when the show notes are published, then everybody go click on that. And Scott, over to you. Uh, I know everyone hates talking about COVID, but I've been reading a lot about the Brazilian variant has been found in Toronto. Uh, and it was very interesting also reading about the WHO team in China setting the origins of uh, this whole big mess that we're in. Hmm. Interesting. That's COVID just yeah. keeps hitting the news. I think we've done an episode for almost a year now without at least one COVID topic. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's been well. It was a year ago this weekend that we were that we had uh, Doctor Alton on, wasn't it? Correct. Right. Uh, the first yeah. episode with Doctor Alton was yeah. uh, was during. And we were, the ta- and we were talking about what's going to happen if this becomes a pandemic. Yeah. Yep. And although we've had sprinklings in almost every episode, there hasn't been. I don't think there's been an episode dedicated to it since then, has there? Uh, no, we did uh, a follow-up with Dr. Alton, but that yeah. was right, uh, right. pretty okay. much it, yeah. All right, shall we move on what we've done lately for preps? I think that's a great idea. Sure, uh, I'll go first, I guess. So the final load of the wall tools came in, um, I believe it was Thursday or Friday, so I spent part of the week on unboxing and organizing those. My OCD was going a little crazy trying to sort everything and get everything perfect um i also did a minimalist overnight solo camping trip on friday um i only brought what i could fit in a 50 liter rucksack i know it sounds like a lot but 
um, that fills up pretty quickly, especially when you're talking about camping in winter and making sure you have the right gear. Uh, I made an arrowhead shelter out of a tarp. Uh, fire was used, uh, so I'm sorry, the fire was just from some scavenged firewood and the food was just some mountain house pouches. Um, I really love these shakedown trips, as I call them, because they're a really good reminder of what you need and what you don't need in a survival situation, as well as keeping your skills pretty fresh. So um, it was a nice solo trip just by myself. I mean, I was only gone for about 16 hours or so, um, but it was nice, and it's it's something I'd like to do again a few times before the winter's over. So, so quick question, Hughes. Yep. How badly did you screw up that your wife wouldn't even let you sleep in the garage? You had to sleep outside <laughs> in the winter. Yeah, so uh, that was the next part of it. <laughs> <laughs> Here's your bag. Go spend a night in the bush. You have, you have an hour to get out for the night. I thought you said you won kitchen appliances. No, no, no. Tools. Tools. <laughs> so, so my question is, Is did you make a YouTube episode for that? For no, I, I didn't. Um, I, th- I think I'm... I think the next time I'm going to bring the cameras out. Um, so I did actually... I was going to bring my GoPro. Time. I, listen, I was going to bring my GoPro. Um, the GoPro I've got is like a GoPro with three or four, and both of the batteries are not keeping a charge at all. So it's like, I've got no GoPro. It's snowing. I'm not going to bring, you know, really expensive DSLR and all that kind of stuff. So I ordered a, a GoPro 8, um, so at least I'll have that for the next one. And I'm, I'm the absentee host. Hmm. <laughs> my question is how you started your fire. Yeah, so I cheated. I used a, uh, f- uh, what do you call it, a ferrite rod or a ferrite rod? I can't yeah, pronounce that in French. So, uh, I, did, I did have a backup, uh, which was a lighter, uh, but I, uh, I I wanted to at least try my hand at that. I didn't use like a bow drill or anything like that. It wasn't that fancy. So well, Nothing wrong with a ferrite rod that gets the job done. Nope. Sure does. Cool. All right, so for myself, um, I just made a couple of contacts uh, on the uh, ham radio on HF. Between uh, studying for uh, the exam I had to write this past week and the interview coming up this week. So my focus has been there versus uh, anything else, but I uh, did make a few contacts along the way just to kind of break up the monotony of reading all kinds of policy and procedure and fun, boring stuff. Ian, before you get started, um, I just need to go get another coffee. I know I've got a few <laughs> seconds, so yeah, yeah I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need a bathroom break and uh, head a beer. Yeah. Take, take your time. I can, I can wait all night. Or should I just start without you? <laughs> That's probably better. Okay, It'll still so, be going by the time we get back. So fun story. Uh, I had three giant Douglas firs that were basically overhanging the house, and they were clearly way beyond my capability of bringing them down myself without destroying my roof. So I decided to bite the bullet and get somebody who had uh, their own insurance to do the work for me versus my house insurance because I didn't want to make a claim. So I hired a uh, professional arborist to come in there and knock down these three giant firs. And they had it done in like three hours, but I basically just told them to drop the, the rounds where they were and all the branches and everything else. Uh, the branches themselves were so large, they were like the size of whale ribs. I got to get a picture of it because I actually held one above and it was like 25 feet long, just one branch. It was crazy. Anyway, so... Um, Lots of work and wood there for the next couple of years worth of uh, household heating. So, nice. yeah, spent some time cleaning that up. Uh, did a big brush bonfire from all that stuff because all the leftover evergreen pine needles are sitting there and they need to be burned up because they're a fire hazard and it works on the fire break as well. So, got that done. Uh, but actually not done. Sorry, I'm still about two-thirds of the way done with that. Um, let's see here. So I opened up some brush around the pump house because I have a solar-powered light for that uh, that runs a, as a motion sensor light. So I had to make sure to open it up so that I actually get more sun on it for 
a longer season without having to rely on electricity uh, because that's right down near our gate and I want to make sure I be, can light up the gate when somebody shows up. Uh, of course, I had to go to work. Now, of course, this has been two, year, two weeks worth of stuff, so I've been gone for you know a good part of the last week. Um, as, you know, my daughter's being a teenager and doing teenager things, so I decided to uh, in invoke some punishment, which I turned into a teaching moment. So I taught my daughter how to inventory and rotate kitchen stock in the freezer and in the Lazy Susan. Uh, finished reading Ender's Game for uh, the Canadian Patriot Podcast Book Club, uh, which is a really short book. And then uh, I'm about three quarters of the way through that 77 Days in September we're going to be covering off in our book club. Uh, did an appearance on Saga 960 with Mark Petroni again, and he gave us about half an hour of our time to talk about Canadian Prepper Podcast, which was great. So I was shocked he gave us that much time, actually. Um, and then Andrew and I went did a reciprocal episode for Prepping 2.0 with Glenn Tate, uh, because he had, uh, we'd had him on the Canadian Patriot Podcast. We both went on his. And again, good episode. We had a fun time doing that one. Uh, CGN deals. Did a couple, of course. Is anybody surprised? That's, That's one surprised. Was new for yeah. you. Um, but the good news is, I actually ran into a young young gentleman uh, who actually started his own ammunition company on the island here. Maybe 20 years old and uh, is a little entrepreneur in the making. And he's importing bulk ammunition from all the major wholesalers. And I can't wait to give him a shout out later in the episode. Super nice guy. And I like to see the young next generation coming up uh, full of gunnies. And guys are actually like willing to go out and go head to head with the big box stores. So awesome. Um, let's see here. So he gave me hope for the future because not all, turns out they're all not all commies in the making. So anyway, <laughs> did a uh, feed run to keep the feed topped up. And then I had two meetups with the potential mag members and they both worked out very well. So that was awesome. So that's the half of the first page. Are we taking nope, a break that and then is, that is it. the rest? Swear wow. to God, that's it. <laughs> okay. I'm back. Um, what did I do this week? I finished some prep work for an upcoming course, uh, upgrading my medical skills, just part two of the thing that I was doing of the 100th episode. Uh, still on the pain train of physical fitness, which has now included adding uh, 5Ks for time with a 50-pound weight vest, um, which is as unpleasant as it sounds. Uh, right now, we've got about a minus 20 wind chill in this part of the province, and after about five minutes, I was not cold in any way, shape, or form. Um, filled some gaps in the pantry with the uh, with our optimum points, and it's that's a that's our, our kind of thing in our household that we use the optimum points to uh, um, to keep everything uh, keep the the pantry and the in the fridge and freezer topped up. Uh, added some new equipment to the basement gym and spent as much time as I could reading. Um, I did not start on 77 days in September yet, but that's neither here nor there. I haven't started either. I'm not going to be on the episode, so it's a low priority for me. Mm -hmm. I'm an absentee host, so I might not be either. <laughs> well, because we showed up once in a while, like one in four episodes would be nice. So I'll be I'll be I'll be driving by your house, Eric, about the same time that you're on the air that, that weekend. So oh, perfect. <laughs> Make sure the wave. <laughs> um, I'm all excited that I got a tri fuel generator. It does gasoline, propane, or natural gas. Um, nice. Weighs about 200 pounds, but it has wheels on it, so it goes in and out of the garage easy. And I'm uh, very exciting. Our new place has natural gas. I don't have a full Generac standby yet, but uh, in the meantime, I think this is a a lovely preparation. Very nice. Uh, that'll do you well, I'm sure. Awesome. Yep. Right. Shall we move into the main topic? Okay, so uh, why we're talking about this tonight is uh, basically because nothing teaches like experience. So uh, we're all kind of going to share a story or two and basically how we got it into 
more involved prepping and what we could have done differently and maybe how it changed our approach to preparedness. So I thought I'd uh, let Hughes go first tonight. Yeah. Oh, all right. Um, so for me, back in 2003, um, Hurricane Juan hit Nova Scotia and it was dubbed uh, the worst storm of about 100 years or last 100 years or so. Uh, and for us, we were in a suburb of Halifax, uh, which is one, which is the largest city in the province, about 400,000 people. We lost electricity for 13 days. Uh, so that was my family, uh, just my, my father, my mother and myself. Uh, so, you know, we were able to cook some of the food that we had in the fridge and the freezer, uh, but most everything else that we weren't able to cook within two or three days uh, ended up spoiling um, my family at the time was not well prepared for anything of, of this sort uh, nor was it something we had really ever experienced um, we were lucky enough to not be in Quebec when the ice storm hit um, in that area but we had quite a few family members that were severely affected by that but we didn't learn much um, so, I mean, you know, we only had one, um, one little one pound tank of propane for the Coleman stove. Um, there was no extra fuel. There was nothing to run electricity. Um, it was actually so bad that we didn't have candles or, uh, extra batteries for the flashlights and all that kind of stuff. So, um, it was a pretty, uh, wild 13 days. <laughs> we were, uh, getting takeout wherever we could get it. Uh, you know, we were eating, uh, whatever was in the pantry that wasn't, um, uh, something that spoiled. Um, so that just goes to show that, I mean, you know, this is, was not that long ago. I mean, it was 18 years ago, but that was really my first kind of event um, that brought it to light for me. Um, I moved out shortly after that, um, and because of Hurricane Juan in 2003, I just wanted to make sure I always had the basics covered. So although I only had like an 800-square-foot apartment, um, I made sure I had enough at least uh, to keep me going for 72 hours at first, and then I quickly really realized that, you know, we were out of power for 13 days. So that 72 hours became two weeks, and I always kept it at two weeks until um, my wife and I bought our home here in 2009 in a much more rural area. Uh, and around 2011 is when Doomsday Preppers came out, um, and that show was kind of really what got me to thinking, um, you know, I've got to I've got to do more than just have two weeks of food on hand. So um, to me, I didn't really start spending money. Um, I know that some people think. Um, prepping is a lot of um, just buying as much stuff as you can, food, guns, water, ammunition, all that kind of stuff. But to me, it was really, um, it led, led me down a, a path of planning, um, creating checklists as to what I would need for a bug-in scenario, a bug-out uh, scenario, making a financial plan to support both the short and long-term prepping plans that I had. So obviously the short was just adding an extra 10 or $15 worth of groceries to the weekly grocery order in order to kind of build up the pantry. And the long term was buying, you know, expensive stuff like generators and water filters and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so over the course of the, f uh, you know, the next few years from 2011 until now is really when um, I kind of built up uh, my knowledge, um, my stockpiles, I guess, of food and all that kind of stuff, as well as um, really getting organized as to, you know, if, if shit hits the fan, I've only got 15 minutes to leave or half an hour to leave or an hour to leave. What is it that I've got to take? What, you know, how much time do I have? Um, and then doing some dry runs where basically I back up the 12 foot enclosed trailer that I've got to the garage and seeing how many of my prepper bins and generator and all that kind of stuff I can get in the trailer within 15 minutes 
you think you can get a lot done in 15 minutes, but you can't. You honestly, truly can't. And unless you've got a checklist, and I live or die by checklists, unless you've got that, you're going to forget a lot of stuff, and you're going to forget a lot of important stuff. And if you're in a scenario where you can't go back to your home because, you know, the police are keeping you out of the area or it's a forest fire or something, without that checklist, you're really going to kick yourself because all your time and preparation and, and nice, expensive stuff, you're probably going to forget most of it, unfortunately. Um, so that's really what got me started into prepping. Um, you know, it was a hurricane that started it and then it was just, believe it or not, it was doomsday prepper just got me thinking of the mentality. Okay. It's not just having extra food on hand. It's, it's having a bug out, um, bag for everyone in the family at home. It's having a get home bag, in my truck, it's having a checklist of what I need to get in the vehicle. If I only have 15 minutes to leave or an hour or day, um, yeah, that's that's kind of my story, I guess. So, well, I think the nice thing about the checklist too is it it helps you prioritize. And if you you know as you go to the list, if you have to like leave before you can finish it, at least it's like the least important stuff that you've missed, right? Because we all get tunnel vision under stress, right? So I mean, you're gonna oh, yeah. have a tough time thinking outside the box or thinking of things that normally aren't like right in front of you. So the the checklists are, are quite good, especially if you uh, take the time to do a proper one, right? Right. And if you look at my checklist, I mean, the, the biggest one I have is like, you know, I've got 24 hours. So I've got 24 hours in the notice that I've got to move, which is, you know, the best case scenario best case scenario i'm sorry um and then basically when i go down to an hour and a half an hour and 15 minutes i just kind of chop off the the stuff that's not as important right so at that point it's getting um you know i've got bins of like family pictures and all kind of stuff get that in get the electronics in um get the food bins in, and all that kind of stuff so I'll, I'll have all the basic stuff that i need to survive for a fairly good amount of time i just won't have a lot of the frivolous extra stuff and i mean in the same amount of time I have to think that, you know, I've got a wife and three kids that she's trying to get the kids settled in the vehicle and get her stuff and all that kind of stuff, right? So I've even made checklists for her. Uh, you know, she doesn't like that, but, you know, I've had to do that as well, right? So, um, yeah. Hence but, the winter camping. Hence the winter camping. Yes, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the checklists are definitely uh, definitely handy and because, like you said, under stress, you're going to forget things. You're going to forget things even if you do have a checklist, but right. at least it kind of gives you a plan and focuses you and gets you moving and gets you tells you what you need to do now. And I've even screwed up with checklists where, and and this is something that, you know, as a, you know, I'm not a professional pilot by any means, but like when you're going through a checklist, you can't look at the next five items and kind of itemize them in your head and just say, I'm going to do them and then come back to the checklist because you're going to screw up. You almost have to, you have to verbally call it out almost of to what you're doing and then physically check it off once you've done it. Cause if I look at like, if I look at my checklist and I've got, let's say I've got five out of 10 items left um, and I say, okay, I'm going to go do these. And then I come back. I've probably only done three or four. Okay. So unless unless I'm doing it in a very strategic way, I'm going to miss things. And I've noticed that I've done that in the past. So now I've gone back to say, no, I can't. I can't do five things on this checklist and then come back to it. It's one one thing at a time. So yep. that's good. Yeah, we kind of refer to it as uh, read, read, and do on the checklist, right? So you read it once, read it out loud, do it, and then come back and then carry on to the next item, right? All right. <clears throat> um. <laughs> some crossover there and i think we're going to see a fair bit of that this in, in this episode yep. um some of my very first memories my grandparents were always well prepared for everything i never remember i remember my grandparents never having never having to go out and get something right away they they were they were the kind of people that looked ahead they had um a well-stocked pantry they had um the cellar under the porch that was always full of preserves um they had an enormous garden they had a 
eight foot chest freezer, as I recall. It might not have been that big, but it felt like that when I was young anyways. Um, that was always just just jam packed. And so they were they were the, the kind of people that were always they were always well stocked for no matter what for no matter what happened. Uh, I remember the 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 very f- one of the one of the earliest um, things that I remember be- where preparedness was a was a thing. Uh, I think I've mentioned Scouter Jeff once or twice on the uh, on the show before. He was one of our one of my scout leaders and was rather famous for coming and taking us to camp and then um, having quote unquote forgotten something and making us improvise it. Um, so when I when I managed to get myself lost in the woods, um, be, thanks to Scouter Jeff, I was well prepared for it and could spend the night by myself at 10 years old, and I was okay. Um, somewhere around 1996, I joined St. John Ambulance as a cadet uh, with their brigade program, which was hugely valuable um, in getting me to spend as much time as I could putting myself in a position to help people. Um, again, a lot of preparedness, where the better trained and equipped you are, the less likely there is the less likely something bad is to happen and the faster you can recover from it. Um, during the uh, during the ice storm in 98 in Ontario and Quebec, I spent uh, 15 days in the Black Triangle outside Montreal and spent most of that time helping people leave their homes because they couldn't, uh, they couldn't take care of themselves. And that is, uh, I, that was the kind of the first the first um, exposure I had to a disaster and what it meant to be able to not need help from somebody else. Um, For me, the big, the big aha came during the blackout in 2003 and I was helping with disaster relief. So, so still the St. John Um, lived on the lived downtown on the 25th floor of my building. Power outages happened pretty regularly i don't know every couple of months or so so but and usually during the summer like that was um so i wasn't really concerned about it until i was sitting you know sitting out on my balcony strumming my guitar i heard a siren coming which was weird it wasn't it was coming from a weird direction and um just one and it turned out to be the uh saint john ambulance mobile command unit which was a uh 48 foot trailer that had um, six radio stations in it, which was pretty cool. So the idea was um, before that trailer came into existence and before emergency operations centers were a thing, um, this was a this was a, a kind of a groundbreaking unit that could house fire, police, EMS, um, CP rail, whomever needed to be involved in disaster relief, and they could house them all in one place. Before that, everybody would have their own command post at a at a disaster, and you'd have to have messengers running back and forth. So this was kind of unique that way. It also had generators. It had um, it had its own uh, uh, had two of its own big diesel generators in it, a little galley and um, and a meeting room. And it was going downtown because the London uh, ambulance dispatch system was in a building. That while the dispatchers had power, the building didn't, and so this sealed room had no air conditioning, and it was 40 degrees, and so they needed to evacuate the building because it was too hot to too hot to work in. And for about uh, I want to say it was about 24 hours, um, all of London ambulance dis- was dispatched out of that out of that trailer on the side of the road, which was pretty cool. Um, once I saw, once I realized what, that it was bigger than bigger than what I was thinking. Um, got dressed, went to the station and spent about 36 hours going around, um, 
kind of almost house to house to um, help people who, who are on home oxygen. Um, fortunately, there was um, there was a list of the the highest risk people, so we could we knew kind of where to go. And based on nine one one calls of people saying I can't breathe, we were able to go and help prevent them from having to go to the hospital. Um, we also provided power to EMS headquarters. The Transit Commission um, had no backup power to fuel their fuel pumps or to power their fuel pumps. So ironically enough, we had to wire a generator into their fuel pumps to fuel their fuel pumps, which was kind of interesting. But um, it kept it meant that we, we were able to keep things going. When I got home, so 36-ish hours later, um, elevator was taken out of service because they had to refuel the generator for the building. And so there I was looking up at a dark stairwell. There was no water in the unit because it was 25 floors up and there was no the water pumps didn't work that high. Um, there was no power in the unit, my, like there no power in my apartment. There was no, um, so I had no water up there. I had no food because I didn't have any way to cook. Uh, there was no AC and only and only windows on one side, so there was no real ventilation. I realized this was not a good place to be, so I made alternate arrangements. And I went to sleep in a nice cool basement. My grandparents, they were so good to me, did my laundry and had food for me when I woke up. And that was the that was the moment when I knew I needed a backup plan for absolutely everything. So while now I can't say that I am 100% ready for every possibility, uh, I don't think anybody can say that, I can say that where we are now and how we are set up gives us ample opportunity to be safe, to um, to kind of roll with the punches of whatever comes, and we have the capacity to um, take on more people in the house if we need to, or get out of Dodge and go somewhere else, all in kind of a reasonable time. So um, it's been, uh, you know, that was 15, 18 years ago now, and it's still a day-to-day operation to improve, but it's getting better every day. Um, fortunately for me, it was not, like I wasn't in a desperate situation, but it could have really easily been. And that's my story. That's a good story. Yeah, mine's, uh, mine's going to start out somewhat similar to, to Alan's. So, um, you know, grandparents, both sides always had fairly large sized gardens. Right? That was just normal. Uh, my parents as well always had a garden in the backyard. It was just something that was part of everyday life. It was normal to have a garden in the backyard. It was normal in the summer to, you know, pick, go pick tomatoes or peas or corn or whatever you happen to have in the garden and, and make meals out of it. It was just something that we did. So that's, that was something that was instilled in me from a very young age. And I continued to today. I have, you know, we have our own garden in the backyard that we use. Um, always involved in some kind of helping people in bad situations. So in, in high school, I was lifeguarding, uh, carried that on for a good number of years. I was always involved in, in first aid type of courses. Um, again, scouts and, and camping in the outdoors kind of got me uh, prepared for, for being outside, making shelters, making fire. Um, I, I had a, a scout leader <laughs> similar to Alan's who would always conveniently forget things. And then we had to improvise and, and make it uh, make it on the fly and make things work and and get through the uh, the camping weekend or a couple of days that we are out um, without said item, which usually miraculously appeared around the end of the camping trip. I don't know. I always lost things just the way it goes. Um, again, so we got through a, like the, the scouting and the camping thing, uh, first aid courses, and then the uh, the blackout of 2003 came around. Uh, you know, I, I still, and I'm sure everybody has uh, vivid memories of that happening. And I remember sitting outside um, actually talking to neighbors. You know, which 
didn't really happen a lot. Uh, but thankfully, you know, everyone not much else to do, right? So we're out uh, chatting with the neighbors and I kind of remember looking around after a couple of days going, hmm, is the power actually coming back? Or, you know, what's, uh, what's going to go on here? Um, and as we all know, it did thankfully come back. But uh, I just remember kind of looking around thinking, hmm, um, what are we going to do here if this doesn't come back or this continues along for a more significant period of time? Um off the college, got involved in the uh, the first aid team there. So it was a, an emergency first aid team that uh, looked after the entire campus. Twenty uh, four hour operation started out there as just a, a basic um, frontline responder to things, and worked my way up to actually running the the full team. So that uh, that kind of opened my eyes um, to the reliance on on first aid teams and just the amount of things that happen in the background that a lot of people don't realize is happening. Uh, you know, I, I still remember being called out in the middle of an exam for one of my courses for a uh, for a person just not breathing, unconscious, and everybody kind of looking at me like, "Why does he get to leave the exam?" And came back after and explained what happened, and nobody really knew that that sort of stuff occurred. Well, you know, the day to day things were happening at the college, and nine times out of ten, nobody even realized that you know a response was happening or EMS was showing up, or or they would just go along their day and choose not to see it happening. Uh, so I found that that kind of interesting. Um, and then come 2007, I get involved in emergency services. And that's what really kind of opened my eyes up to, you know, a lot of things that happen that not everybody realizes is happening and the reliance of people on various services to come and solve the problems and, and look after things that, you know, you didn't exactly plan for. And not only that, I realized when I was um, sent out to various situations there, you know, we working 12, 13, 14 hour shifts. And f- sometimes I'd be stuck there without being able to leave. And I, I quickly realized that I have to do things like eat, <laughs> you know, and sometimes my, my plan would be, you know, I'd go grab uh, a burger somewhere or I'd go, uh, go grab something to eat on the fly as I was working. But all of a sudden I realized you can't always do that. You know, you're stuck here and now I have no water. I have no food. Uh, nobody else has come in to relieve me and started realizing, you know, I should maybe start, you know, packing things and getting a little bit more prepared for situations that I wouldn't even realize I was going to be involved in until I was pushed out to them. Uh, So that kind of got the mindset going of, you know, I should carry some extra food. I should carry some extra water, but that was really only while I was working. Um, I kind of pushed that thought into my day-to-day life and having a little bit of extra food and water in my vehicles as I was traveling elsewhere um, during just personal trips. Uh, but then come uh, 2013, the, uh, the GTA ice storm. So uh, a lot of people, again, without power, um, a lot of things happening there. Uh, I had some family members without power for almost a week uh, in that one. And I really got thinking at that point, like, okay, it's, you know, we've seen the 2003 power outage. Okay. You know, I was a little bit younger for that. I was, I was still living at home with my folks. Uh, the 2013 uh, ice storm power outage, I'm, I've been out on my own for quite a while now and, you know, it's, I'm the one looking after the house, right? I'm the one who has to make the plans. I'm the one that has to make sure that uh, everything's looked after. And I started thinking, okay, I'm, I'm not in the GTA at this point. So I wasn't affected directly by the, uh, the ice storm. Still looking at it going, okay, this is, you know, th- this could happen where I am as well. It's not far. It's only a couple hours away from where I am. And at that point I started kind of putting a plan together. Okay. I'm going to get a couple extra cases of water. I'm going to 
get some more food um, when I go out grocery shopping, an extra couple of cans here and there. Um, I'm going to have uh, an idea of where I'm going to go if something major happens or, or what I'm going to do. If, am I going to stay here? Or am I going to go elsewhere? And I just sort of kind of started thinking about those sort of things. Uh, as I started thinking about those things, I thought, you know, wait, well, there's a bit of a business opportunity here because uh, I'm looking around trying to find where I can purchase certain items, uh, and I'm not seeing a lot of companies that were around. So I, I started Rapid Survival in 2014. Um, two kind of ideas for that. One, I could sell some products and make a little bit of side money. Uh, and two, I'd have to hold stock. So as I'm holding stock, yes, I'm selling the stock, but at the same time, if something happens right here and now, I have a whole bunch of stock. So I have a whole bunch of items here that are specifically designed for emergency preparedness and and being prepared for X amount of time. So um, I saw it as an opportunity to kind of have a, a stockpile built up a little bit of a safety net where I'm, I'm going to be using it anyways if, uh, if something happens. But at the same time, if nothing's happening, I can sell it and, and utilize the, uh, the funds to grow my business and grow my company and then uh, kind of make it thrive and make it run. Uh, all the while also learning where I can find these items, where I can source them, and then slowly making my own little um, collection of items and, and stockpile as well. So uh, that's worked out quite well for me because now I have my stock for, for rapid survival, but I also have my personal stockpile as well. Uh, so the two are no longer intermixed. My pile is my pile. Rapid survival's pile is, is rapid survival's pile. But if, uh, if some huge major catastrophe does happen, well, I'm not afraid to dig into the stockpile I have for the company as well if, if needed. Uh, the nice thing is as well I, with... I'm not either other, afraid to dig into yeah. your stockpile. Well, you know, if uh, if you can get here, see how that works. <laughs> but um, and the other nice thing is it it continuously makes me have to educate myself on new uh, and emerging things in the preparedness world. I can't just sit back and say, hey, you know, I I've got my water, I've got my food, because uh, there's inevitably going to be somebody who calls and says, hey, I'm looking for this, I'm looking for that. What are your thoughts on this? What are your thoughts on that? Um, so I need to be up to date on the different products that are available, the different things that are available. Uh, I need to have general knowledge on all kinds of things now because of it. So, you know, first aid kits, trauma kits, um, freeze-dried food, water storage. I need to have at least general knowledge so I can answer questions that are posed. Uh, and then that's a whole other reason why I started the podcast as well, is to help keep my knowledge and abilities and skills up and be able to teach other people as well. Um, and in order to be able to teach other people, you need to kind of have an idea of what you're talking about. So um, that was kind of my, my main reasoning for um, starting the company up, starting the podcast up. And the, the, the story behind how I got involved in it is just realizing I had to, to be ready for certain things and, and going through some, some rough situations where I am sitting at the, you know, a certain scene and I have absolutely nothing and I'm stuck there for seven, eight hours and just learning through, uh, through some hard, uh, hard situations where I'm not necessarily in the worst of situations, but it was enough to give my head a shake and say, Hey, stupid, start to uh, start packing food with you, start packing some water and start getting some stuff stocked at your house just in case. Those are the worst when you're like honest, when you're out of post by yourself and there's no one coming and you didn't bring yep. food. And it's, yeah, uh, or they're coming, but they're like three or four hours away from you. Yeah, that's that's rough. Yeah. Those suck. Yeah, absolutely. But lesson learned, and said it wasn't the uh, wasn't the end of the world. It was a it was definitely a teaching moment. Yeah. Fun times. Yeah, everyone. Ian or Scott was he? Or Scott? Sure. Oh I'll yeah, jump, I'll jump in. 
Um, I mean, so much of this stuff that you guys are talking about rings true with me. Uh, I'm going to relay a story about the uh, 2010 Haitian earthquake. One of our paramedics had taken a leave of absence and was running a medical clinic down in Haiti, just outside Port-au-Prince. Haiti is an incredibly poor country. Um, poorest in the Western Hemisphere has this long, sad history of kind of being beaten around by, by other countries. And as a result, um, you look at, we're, you're there and there's not a tree to be found. Uh, they're, they're literally, they've clear cut the entire country because there's no natural resources. There's very little. Um, we get a message from our, our friend who's running the medical clinic after this substantial earthquake just outside of Port-au-Prince. Um, for context, while the numbers are all over the place, it's somewhere in the quarter million people died in the earthquake um, as a result of poor country, very poor building standards, you know, where we would have five concrete columns full of rebar, they have two piles of cinder blocks. Um, so just horrible, horrible injuries. Um, we get a message, need help end up flying down uh, onto this little-used airport that normally sees a handful of flights a day. The control tower is uh, damaged, so control is being done by the U.S. Air Force, a guy standing on a radio next to the runway. <laughs> um, there, there, literally, there's still bodies in the streets. Um, it's, you know, it is an end-of-the-world, life-changing scenario for a lot of these people. We went and staffed the hospital. Um, hospitals there, rather than being uh, a single building the way we're used to, it's more of a campus style where you know little buildings have different responsibilities. So the radiology building with good thick walls was fine, but the nurses' residence had completely collapsed. Uh, so we were basically staffing, looking after people just in the courtyard of... Uh, you know, on hospital beds wheeled out to the courtyard, their family sleeping underneath. It was kind of intense. Um, our first day there, we traveled by, we affectionately called it the chicken truck. Uh, picture that military truck with sort of the, the U-shaped bench at the back and the canvas over top. But instead of canvas, it was just like a wire mesh. It's hot down there, canvas really wouldn't have worked for us. Um, <clears throat> anyway, we started treating patients, sweeping through, doing dressing changes, antibiotics, some of the first pain meds these people had seen with horrible injuries that happened a full week ago. Um, and we're doing a lot of good. It's nice. Well, we collect back at the chicken truck for lunch. Um, the, the mission where we were had been well prepared. They had all sorts of MREs. They, had, they supplied food to a large population around them. So yeah, they sent us with lunch. So we all congregate, congregate in the chicken truck and pull out our MREs and start eating and <clears throat> realize that we've attracted a crowd of very hungry, very desperate people that are all looking at, up at us through the, <laughs> through the mesh in our chicken truck. You know, sort of hands reaching out and just desperate, sad people. We didn't have enough food to give to everyone. We you know, had no way of sort of fixing their problems. 
And it was one of the absolutely most unpleasant situations I've ever been in. Um, through in, in through that prepper parlance, you know, zombies, the unprepared, that's who we were surrounded by, just these poor, desperate people looking for help. And we didn't have enough to give them. Um, it really, to this day, has stuck with me and makes me think very much of the Gray Man episode that uh, I don't know what number that episode was. Um, but in terms of sort of having my stuff prepared, I fully recognize that, um, you know, if, if something hits the fan, we're going to have a lot of family <laughs> uh, staying with us. And that's fine. I include that in my preparations. Uh, but the scenario where, you know, desperate roving masses are knocking at your door is kind of unpleasant. So all sorts of other things have got me thinking about prepping over the years, long before that. But that experience uh, of being in a disaster zone has really, really stuck with me and makes me want to think more about prepping. So take, take that for what it's worth. I think as bad as MREs are, I think it still beats nothing, right? So you can imagine, you know, at that point, the MREs probably would have tasted like, you know, chicken pot pie for uh, a lot of those people. Oh, absolutely. But, yeah. A friend of mine was a missionary in Haiti. Their, their thing that they were eating was what they called mud pies, which was literally just margarine filled with dirt to create more substance in their stomach. And... Oh. It, you, if if that's you know if, if that's all you've got, then it's better than nothing. But is uh, you know as Scott's saying like it's it's an absolutely desperate situation, and there's there's no uh, there's no good solution for it. Yeah, and that that scenario just paints the picture of you know where things could potentially go in a in a disastrous type of situation. It's uh, you know it's it's not going to be pretty and. There's going to be all kinds of people looking for assistance from uh, those people that do have things, right? Hungry people or desperate people. Yep. Well, there's one thing I heard that stuck with me. Um, I, I don't remember where I heard it from, but it's, uh, actually I think it was like Doomsday Preppers, but it's like we're only nine meals away from anarchy. So if you think about it, like you can probably go one day without food. Two days is starting to stretch it, but three days, you know, if I can't feed my family for three days straight, um, I'm going to be doing some desperate stuff. And if I can't feed my family for three days straight, everyone around me probably can't feed their families for three days straight. And really, when it comes down to that, I don't care... You know, yeah, we've got the military, we've got police services and all kind of stuff, but they all have families as well, um, and they're not going to abandon their families. I mean, I, you know, I'm a first responder and stuff, but I'm not going to abandon my family uh, and let them starve to help others when it comes to that. You know, there's a certain extent I'm willing to go, but yeah, if you think about it, nine meals away from anarchy, that's all it is. It's three days, right? Yeah, it's a good point. And very, like, I think very few realistic people believe that the world is going to come to a crashing halt but even emergency preparedness canada says help is coming you just got to give it time to get there and that's, right. that's just like the overriding thing is like yes help is coming yes the you know the the military is coming the fire department is coming the um, the police are coming the red cross whatever right there they'll get there eventually but you have to be around when that happens or yep. it doesn't matter 
Yeah, and there's no specific timeline on when they're showing up. Yeah, they we hope within 72 hours. Like that's the ideal, but you'd hope. You'd hope, but it you know, it takes. I mean, it, it, when when I was in uh, when I went to Quebec, we were we were there for 15 days, and it took us four days to get there after the after the emergency was declared. So we were probably six days from the onset of from the onset of the storm to actually providing assistance of any kind. And that's a long time. Right? That's a lot we more st- realistic. I mean, right now, before they used to say three days, uh, they should get ready to pack for three days worth of food and water. At least the government's like stretched out to a week now because that's a little more realistic than... than right, the, the 72 hours used to be the norm, um, yeah. especially here in Nova Scotia. Now you're seeing more and more documentation, which is really interesting to see, but they're saying, to your point, Ian, it's, it's a week or two weeks, right? Yep. Um, to be self-sustained, because, I mean, it's even, you know, like, Nova Scotia is a small province. We've only got 970,000 people. So, um, you know, if help were to arrive from other parts of Canada, um, you know, there wouldn't be enough... Uh, coming in at the same time to help out all 970,000 people. So yes, help will start to arrive and start to trickle in. Um, And I mean, you know, this is Canada. We're a very large country. Uh, We're spread across, you know, thousands and thousands of kilometers. So if there's a really big natural disaster, it's probably going to be a localized emergency. Think about, you know, a tornado or a hurricane or massive flooding. Other parts of Canada, even maybe a few hundred kilometers away, are not going to be affected. And there's going to be enough resources. Like if we're talking about a hurricane, there's, there's going to be enough linesmen um, to come in and fix. I mean, I know when we have a hurricane, which happens every few years now, we typically, our, our Nova Scotia Power, which is a corporation that handles the DAD power here, will actually have crews from New England, Maine, Quebec, Ontario, New Brunswick, all lined up within this province ready to tackle the uh, the power outages as soon as the storm is done. So they don't wait for the storm to hit and then say, we need help. They're actually bringing these 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 trucks and these, these line crews um, almost a few days ahead of time, right? So, I mean, help will come. It's just you have to sustain yourself for a few days, maybe even, even up to two weeks, right? And... Yeah, and and yeah, there's they're coming. We just we just got to be we just got to be there for for when it happens, uh, which is why we do what we do. Yep. Coolio, I guess my How turn. How you in? What you got? Yep. Well, I just told Scott the exact opposite of what I'm about to tell. So uh, before the show, but here I go anyway. So it turns out I wasn't always like the happy-go-lucky prepping guy that I am now. What? So, <laughs> Come yeah, on. Seriously. Uh, were, you, so, were you a prankster though? Well, no, I was a typical, <laughs> typical teenage boy. So, of course, just like everybody else on here, it seems I went through Beaver's Cub Scouts, all that stuff. Went camping with Dad, all that stuff. You know, watched my Red Dawn, like I mentioned on the 100th episode. I watched Red <laughs> Dawn about 100 times, so that pretty much made me a prepper right there. But, no, I, I never really took it seriously. What, sorry, was that? Uh, Wolverines. Wolverines! But, yeah, no, I never really took it seriously, other than getting a... a, a a miner's FAC at the time, at age 15. And then, uh, anyways, back in the day, when you could do that. Um, so, yeah, gun prepper and, you know, the occasional backpack with some kitty entire dollar store special, you know, camping items and stuff, but never really took it that seriously. So, uh, Ian, really, what century are you from? Because <laughs> this week I've been questioning that over and over again. What, the miner's FAC thing? The, the FAC, the, what else? What else talk, oh, yeah, the Nigerian Prince emails. Oh, yeah. No, I'm old school, man. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. 
Yeah, I could talk about the. Uh, it's not the. It's not the. Uh, what's it? Will Smith. I am Legend. It's actually the Omega Man. That's the real movie you should watch. But, uh, <laughs> it's Omega Man. Yeah, that's that's even <laughs> before I was born with Charlton Heston. So, anyways, uh, okay. So yeah, so teenage boy more interested in seeing girls naked than actually preparing for the future. So uh, yeah, I uh, went through college, read from the ground up, which is a uh, Canadian Forces Military Survivor Manual, and I was like, that's nice. Let's go to the bar. <laughs> so that was pretty much the end of my prepping for college and you know my instructors were like you know you should really pay attention to that stuff I'm like yeah 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 whatever got it and so um, same thing I uh, get my first uh, job up north and I'm you know flying small airplanes and uh, yeah kind of just doing the what ifs I've been looking down but really not really taking it too seriously I had the company provided survival pack in the back that's good enough right Did never looked at it once um, the company cares all. about you for sure, and the, co- and the company totally cared about me. So I guarantee it was very well stocked. Sure, it was um, with expired <laughs> items. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, lo and behold, so this is where it gets serious. So like uh, you know, instead of actually going out to the the local watering hole on the afternoons and everything else, like we did every other day, I was out flying with a buddy of mine, and uh, he was in a in a plane just ahead of me, and through his own kind of bad technique, I guess. End up killing his own engine. He only had one of them. So he's uh, he's going down in minus 45 weather onto a frozen lake. And so uh, I get to watch him crash. And I look at him. I was like, oh, that's not good. So now all of a sudden I'm watching a guy crash in extreme cold weather. And he's in the middle of nowhere. Like, we're literally, we're above the, uh, the tree line in the Arctic. So it's not like there's a whole lot of things. I mean, when I say above the tree line, there's still some trees, but not many, really. Um, anyway... So I'm watching him circling overhead, making sure he's okay. He gets out of the plane. And yeah, so unfortunately now I'm sitting there thinking, okay, so I'm, I'm thinking, oh, geez, hypothermia could be a thing here. I don't know, call me crazy, but... <laughs> then, just maybe. Yeah, just maybe. And then I, and he's, I was like, wait a minute, he's walking away from the airplane. What is he doing? And he decided to leave the crash site, which is never a good idea. And uh, anyway, so long story short, uh, he only by the, the sheer dumb luck the people going out in skidoo's looking for him happened to stumble across him he's he's only four miles away from the nearest airport and he managed to get lost four miles away um so yeah typical good pilot right so he uh, he goes down and he gets lost and he's in he's in waist deep snow thinking he can walk to the nearest town in that kind of weather so of course waist deep snow he's gonna start sweating everything else so by the time they got a hold of him he's in pretty rough shape Anyway, so they get him back, and so we learned about the importance of staying with the crash site, navigation, hypothermia, and hey, maybe we should take a look at what's in our kit. <laughs> so, so, sure enough, from that day forward, pretty much, uh, I kind of like maybe lessened my focus on the girls and maybe paid a little more attention to actually what's in the back of my airplane. And that's when I started realizing that nobody's going to wipe your ass except for yourself. And, uh, so basically, I discovered that my company truly does not love me, <laughs> and that the uh, that the minimum requirements were kind of more of a guideline than a rule when it came to what should be in the back of the airplane, and so I augmented it myself. Um, got back serious about hunting, so I could actually like uh, have something on, actually, like back in the day, you could carry a gun legally, no problem, back in the day uh, with the small planes. So I put a twenty two on board, made sure I had enough to get ptarmigan at least. Um, made sure I had proper weather, fire starting equipment, you know, food supplies, everything else, because it turns out none of that was on board, and which is one of the reasons so why. I think, what was in it? What was in it? A uh, plus fifteen degree sleeping bag, uh, one package of those hamster shaving kind of emergency rations, 
and I believe I think it was like a set of like um, bar matches, like you get in the bar back in the seventies, Alan. The pack of matches that had the bar's name on it still, or something. There's like one of those thrown in there, and that was pretty much it. Because anything, it was such a small plane. Anything more than that would throw off the weight and balance so bad, and reduce what they could carry, so they could make less money. So they didn't want to put any survival kit in it. So ended up having to outfit my own kit and ever since then I kind of took it a lot more seriously and then I started stumbling across more and more events like that uh, one which I'll tell you when we get drunk one night but uh, anyway I think yeah. Les Stroud could have made a really good episode of those three items too I'm pretty sure Les Stroud did make an episode of <laughs> yeah, yeah. Three. he did yeah yeah yeah, right. yeah. so it's uh, ever since then yeah that was life changing for me so basically uh, kind of kind of had to put on my big boy pants from that boy on, point onwards I think I was all of about 19 and a half when that happened so wow yeah, that was uh, after that. I got pretty serious, and 2003 cemented it as we talked before because I was in Ontario at the time as well with a wife that was like eight and a half months pregnant, and people started getting antsy for cigarettes and everything else. So, yeah, um, yeah, that's pretty much it from about age 19 onwards. But it just takes some real life, uh, real world experience to turn you into a common sense prepper. I worked. Uh, I used to work in, in not quite that far north, but in in northern Ontario on an ambulance. In the ambulance base there, and did a uh, um, did a tour with the air ambulance, which is a little, a little uh, King Air 100, not so not a, not a big plane at all. And th- my my safety orientation, the pilot said, okay, and there's a first aid or there's a survival kit in the wing. Uh, and I said, okay, what's in the survival kit? He's like, no idea, never opened it, but it's there. <laughs> and that's pretty much every pilot up there, especially because yeah. like yeah, they are they're so young, right? Like because they're fresh out of college, they have no experience and. Um, yeah, that's just they assume that the the, the company's going to follow the rules and yep. supply what's required and then some and to, in order to ensure your well-being. Well, yeah. they, they do follow the rules, the exact yes. letter of the rules. Oh, yes. and sometimes not even that, though, too. <laughs> like, there's no oversight, right, in a lot of these places. So. It says you need three Band-Aids. Here's your three Band-Aids. Yep. That's it. Yeah, uh, yeah so, so it's, it's yes, kind of similar situation. Like, it just, there was, there was just nothing, um, Nothing of nothing of any real use in that kit. Yeah, you're on your own. It's, it'll be fine. We've never crashed, so we don't we don't worry about it. Yeah, statistically, we'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> if we're not, well, you're a number. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and here's this here's this transfer from Fort Francis to uh, from Fort or from Pickle Lake to Fort Francis, then Fort Francis to Winnipeg, and you'll be back in 18 hours, and it's uh, snowing in October. So yeah, it'll be fine. Best of luck to you. Yep. I'd like to know where Blizzard is right now. He says it's minus 41 this morning and minus 30 for most of the week. So Winnipeg, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Could be Winnipeg. You never know. It's probably Winnipeg. <laughs> yeah. It's Winnipeg. like minus 35 right now, too. Yeah. Well, shall we uh, move into the podcast challenge? You didn't put right. on it. No, I'll take it. Uh, okay. So take one experience where you had to, uh, where you had a teachable moment, and see if your preps can be improved or changed by what you learned that day. That's awesome. That's that's great reflection. Yeah, especially if you've got nothing better to do than sit around and think about the past and things were a little yep. bit more normal. Yeah, and uh, upcoming events, we've got none. 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 You're not going to read that. Yeah, yeah that's not what it says. <laughs> I learned my lesson from the intro. I have read ahead. <laughs> I've seen it. <laughs> 104 episodes. We're finally getting into the pranks. It's about time. 
All right, uh, so I got the deal of the week here. I've got the, uh, I think Eric has one of these, but the GB70 Lithium Car Booster Canadian Tire. I've got the 40, if I remember correctly. Okay, so this one has got 70 bucks off till February 11th, so it's uh, normally like a ludicrous price, and now it's probably the real price, uh, yeah. but I think it's like $139 right now or something like that, but it's kind of like the Binford 9000 of car boosters. Yeah, so. very Eric, have, you, have you tried your 40? Yep. Because I was reading reviews on it, and... It, People are saying if you have six or eight cylinders, don't don't bother with the with the forty. Yeah, I'll have so, to double check if it's the forty or the seventy. I honestly don't remember. I want to say forty, but it might be seventy. I'll double check. Yeah, and I think the seventy is uh, two thousand amps, which is yeah. Um, yeah, it's a fair amount of power. Yeah. Now the one I've got starts my uh, my eight cylinder truck without even a hiccup. Oh, so yeah, that's so, fine then. Yeah. yeah. I'll, and I'll I think double it's check one of those things where I mean, even if you have it keep a charge so i mean once every maybe three months or six months i know it's a lithium uh battery but if you're going to keep it in your vehicle and it's cold i mean take it in the house once every six months just top it off and then you're good right so yeah i bring mine in uh, at season swaps and i'll just plug it in for the night so in the fall and spring and the summer and then in the winter i just bring it in plug it in for the night put it back in the car and it goes with me everywhere i go and those things are super super handy i've used it a ton of times basically to boost a whole bunch of other people yeah uh, and the odd time boost myself it's been just great. Well, and the one I've got in the truck is the older model. It's the the one that has a lead acid battery and oh, it yeah. has a built-in compressor and all that kind of stuff. It's yep. fine, but it weighs you know sixty pounds too. So yeah, well, I'll, I'll double check and for the next episode, I'll let, let everybody know if I've got the seventy or the forty. I don't. I want to say forty, but I don't remember one hundred percent. So cool. All right, should we move in the uh, shoutouts? So I don't like people enough. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just wanted to give a big shout out to uh, the 15 live listeners I ha- uh, we had uh, this evening. Um, it's Super Bowl, and there's still 15 of you guys uh, and gals uh, watching us. So appreciate yeah, it. Yours. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hopefully you're watching while uh, chowing down on some chicken wings. I did watch an interesting article, I guess, because they they already know that the in, uh, attendance for the Super Bowl is going to be super low. So they put a bunch of plastic cutout people in the in the stands again to make mm-hmm. it look like it's full. Ah, so. yep, they've, been, they've been doing that in most sporting events this year. Yeah, uh, I was like, wow, that's past 12 months. What if if anyone wants to know, it's uh, 31-9 for the Buccaneers. Um, and we're about three minutes left in the fourth quarter. So If it was the other way around, around, I would say it's not a clinch yet, but Brady's in yeah. charge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a football game going on today? Yeah, wait a minute. How many, how many baskets do they have? Oh, yeah. Or goals. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Anyway. <laughs> All right, I got a shout-out for uh, new listener Brian and also uh, Logan at uh, Meadowood Ammunition, the uh, young man I met uh, the other day, and I'm hoping that uh, he does very well with his business. As a matter of fact, if anybody's on the island here, uh, he said he can order some bulk ammunition and try and get a you know a, a bulk discount going for anybody that's interested. So get a hold of him at uh, mwstore at shaw.ca. Will he ship uh, Canada-wide, or is he still fairly local? Um, it's interesting because he tells me that uh, I guess his parents had a, a grandfathered ammunition sales license for their convenience store, so oh, he kind of jumped on that one as he, uh, you know, age nineteen here, and and Smart. decided to make use of it. So, I mean, good for him. They, I guess, That's his parents excellent. had gotten out of it, and so yeah. he's showing some entrepreneurial spirit. And um, he he mainly caters to hunters, I think. But he says if there's yeah. any specialized stuff you want to bring in, he can do that. Cool. Yeah. Well, That's fantastic. Anyone else with shoutouts? Nope. All right. We'll move into uh, email and iTunes reviews. So we uh, we got a, uh, I should change this title, email, Facebook uh, Messenger, and iTunes reviews. This, uh, this one came in on Facebook Messenger. 
so it just says, uh, hey guys, I love in your podcast to keep me entertained during the long workday. Uh, I just listened to your EDC podcast a couple of days ago. And I began, re- uh, began rebuilding my current EDC with better gear. Uh, I'm currently trying to decide what uh, knife I should get because uh, we're Kanukistan and can't have the spring assisted. I'm looking for some safety assist in quotes, knives uh, like Curbshaw. Uh, I'm not really a knife person, so I wanted to hear what you guys think would be best. Uh, best wishes from Northern Ontario. So this is about where we start the uh, keyboard warrior fights and uh, everybody tells everybody else that they're wrong because their knife is stupid. I'd say number one, go to Ian Runkle at Runkle the Bailey on YouTube yep. and, and listen to his episode on knife laws in Canada. Yep. And then 100%. make your decisions. <laughs> yep. Um, the, the number one thing is that the knife, that's, the knife that you have available is the one that works best for you, like, is, is the one that matters. Um, it doesn't matter if you spend 50 bucks on something at crappy tire or you spend $500 on something that you have, you know, specially made and, and custom, uh, like custom forge uh, if you're not going to carry it, it doesn't matter um i would like the one that i keep in my pocket on a pretty regular basis is like a, it's about the length of my thumb it's made by gerber it's a little folder it has um everything that i does everything that i need to, to do um i bought it because it's the right size I, I don't care that it's a gerber i don't care that it's um i don't care that it's got the the shark skin uh the shark skin handle on it and it's you know super grippy none of that matters the fact is that it's convenient to carry and it's in my pocket all the time i don't notice it when it's in my pocket so i don't worry about it no um that's that's what really matters in my opinion for me i carry this guy here i don't know if uh anybody can see it when they're watching but uh, it has a little seatbelt cutter and a window punch because the knife is a tool not a weapon that's one key to always remember uh, and I have come across, as you can see, it's pretty scratched and dinged up uh, on the areas for the window punch and the seatbelt cutter because I've used the window punch multiple, multiple times and I've used the seatbelt cutter a couple of times as well. Um, window punch works phenomenally well. The seatbelt cutter as well cuts through seatbelts without an issue. Um, and then, of course, it has a blade as well, which I use all the time for opening boxes and such. And so it's, it's very handy. But again, uh, like Alan said, knives are going to be a personal choice for you. Where, like I, I know that I'm going to be coming across situations where I'm going to have to break a window. I'm going to have to cut a seatbelt. That's why I carry this with me all the time. Um, maybe in your day-to-day life, you're, you're not going to be coming across that uh, very often. So maybe it's not something that you're going to want a knife, or maybe it's something you got in the back of your head thinking, well, if I do come across it, or if you have to cut yourself out of a vehicle, this will do it as well. Right? So it's, it's all kinds of different situations and scenarios that you think you're going to find yourself needing that tool for and then look for those solutions in in the knife that you you go to purchase so that is the smith and western extreme ops one because i have the same one it is yep yeah that's the one well i have a grab bag full of knives uh so i just it's kind of a random thing uh on the kershaw note i do have two that you would probably be interested in uh that i i would actually recommend it one is the brawler which is very tiny little assisted opening one uh less likely to get you a weapons charge or a tool charge, as it were. Um, and then the, the, I also got the brand new, it was a complete impulse buy, uh, the Kershaw Vortex uh, assisted opening one, because it's got Tactical Green and other stuff, but I honestly don't use it. I, uh, and so you could probably get, buy it cheap for me in on CGN. Probably could. I could do a CGN <laughs> deal for you. Um, this is going to be a little emasculating, but I used to carry on a big SE knife on the, the acreage now, and I just realized for what I'm actually needing on the acreage, the SE Zancudo, which is like, dirt cheap 
there's like nothing to it. So it's not even a spring assist. It's actually just a little folder. It's all I need right now. Um, for the current use, I mean, if things went sideways and the zombies were like roaming the streets and stuff, I'm sure I'd probably bring out that Kershaw Vortex again and get serious. But for now, it's like, it's it's what I need. Uh, like Eric was saying, I don't need to worry about too much about cutting seatbelts and stuff. I actually leave that Extreme Ops in my truck. Uh, next, I also have a dedicated seatbelts cutter and window breaker and everything else, but I kind of just leave that in the truck for when I need a, a beefier tool. But um, yeah, it's all personal choice. I mean, like I've got a, a few different ones I've tried, and if I if I should go out for a fancy dinner, I actually have a fancy little folder folder knife that's like wood handles and everything else. It looks old grandpa style and everything else. Less likely to attract attention. A uh, little gray man action there, but yeah, it depends on what you're what you're doing, what you need for. I guess I'll throw my two cents in as well. So I've had a SOG Flash 2 uh, knife for about seven or eight years that I've had in my EDC now. The one thing I like about it is that it's uh, they call it an assisted open, so it's not like it's a button, it's not spring-loaded or anything, but basically when you start the action of opening it, um, there's almost like a detent that takes over and basically finishes opening the knife. And I found that if you're busy with one hand and you've only got the other hand to open, um, it really helps out um, to open the knife. So anyways, I've had that on me for probably seven or eight years. I actually lost it. I bought another one and then it miraculously reappeared. So now I've got two of them. Um, and the other one I carry is um, a Benchmade Griptilian 550, I think. Um, and I just had a gift card for Amazon, so I bought it. Um, the only thing I find with it is that the blade's great, the handle's great, but it's just difficult to open, meaning that I need the two hands to open it. Uh, so I find myself reverting back to the SOG Flash 2 um, just for the ease of use. So, And it's only like a $60 knife. I mean, you know, the Benchmade was like 150 and I don't carry it because it's just it's harder to open. So, And the SOG looks cool, too. The SOG looks yeah. pretty cool, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And in my bunker gear, I have a uh, I have a little folding knife. It's a little Milwaukee, and it just takes razor blades. I have probably nice. twenty of those from different manufacturers around. Um, I've never, you know, you don't have to sharpen it, right? You just replace the blade. The blades are dirt cheap and uh, super easy to come by, and it's again a super handy little folding knife that doesn't do anything fancy. It's very, it's very clearly a tool and not a weapon, um, and it's. Uh, those are it's just one of those one of those other things to have around that works out well for uh, works out well we need it awesome. I uh, I'm all about just a simple Leatherman multi-tool um, it's one of my everyday carry things and then I have another the same one that I use at work uh, it's not spring assist loaded it just has a little slot to put your thumbnail in it's a little hard to do with with gloves on, so I actually had a friend weld a little, just a little button on there, uh, just so there's something to push against when I have gloves on to make it easier to open. Admittedly, I use the pliers, the screwdriver, <laughs> the file, every bit as much as the blade, but it's still handy. Nice. That again comes back to the point where it's your tool and your carry, and depending on what you do throughout your day, that's going to make more sense to you than just about anything else. So. The short answer is whatever you like and whatever you need, but assess what you do with your day. I, I have a dozen multi-tools. I have, I have a Leatherman that's uh, older than my kids and it's nearby. Like it's always, it's always in the door of my truck, but I never used anything except a knife blade to open boxes anywhere. So I don't bother keeping it in my pocket or keeping it on my belt. 
Yeah, it's uh, like we've all said, there's there's what five of us on the panel here, and it's everybody's got a different uh, a different use, a different story, and a different uh, need for the tool, right? So, except for you're all wrong, except for me. Sure, or yeah. something like that. <laughs> but is it the, but is sure. it the best knife for bear defense? Yeah, that's right. Oh, geez, don't start with that CGN thread. Oh, geez. <laughs> All right, I got one for here from uh, from the Wales in the United Kingdom. So, from a fellow Welshman, this is awesome. So, hi guys, thanks for an awesome podcast series. Although not susceptible to natural disasters like snow, earthquakes, etc., I find your a lot of your content really interesting. I've always been interested in prepping, which I think comes from my 23, 23 years of service in the army, knowing the importance of having quality items to fall back on, etc. Uh, since our first lockdown, I suggested to my wife that we need to be better prepared. We've started storing food supplies and having a better stocked freezer. The family always uh, laughs at me for carrying around a shoulder bag, which is full of a comprehensive EDC kit. But who do they uh, come to when they need something? Well, him, of course. So continue with the great content. Your time is greatly appreciated. And that's kind regards from Carl. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Carl, that's fantastic. And, you know, it's really tough to uh, argue against having uh, having your backpack. My argument, I used to have... uh, uh, I mean, I carry duct tape everywhere, but I used to have duct tape wrapped around the bottom of my water bottles and, and all my bottles. And somebody asked me about it one time and I said, you know, I've never been in a situation and gone, man, I wish I didn't have 10 feet of duct tape right now. It's never happened. But there've been lots of situations where I've, where I, it would have been really handy and I didn't have it. So uh, as they say, victory papers, preparation. Um, I got an email here from Darius, who is also in the uh, YouTube chat today, so shout out to Darius. Um, he says, hey guys, loved the episode and had a great time chatting. This was the um, this was from the fire starting episode, I believe. Um, here's my podcast challenge results. Three sets to show you. The first is the makeup pad covered in wax I was telling you about. Second is a dry bag that perpetually stays in my hunting bag and has all the necessities. Third is a Jones soda candy tin that is also always on my person as I go about life commuting in the city. See the attached photos. Enjoy, Darius. We're not going to show you the photos because we're mean. And we're going to hoard that for ourselves. But that's really cool, Darius. And that's really awesome that you actually you actually took part in the podcast challenge and got back to us about it. That makes it fun. I really appreciate that. Yeah, that's great. Uh, and yeah, again, where there's where where you've got different people having different ideas for what is the best way to achieve what's what's the best knife to carry. You have different ideas on what the best way to start a fire is. And once again, the reality is the best way to start a fire is the one that you have with you and you know how to use. Yep. Actually, uh, Darius is, of course, also watching right now, and he says he's looking for the Leatherman that is uh, specific to gunsmithing, and he said, hopefully I can get it. There was, um, uh, what was it? That was the Mutt, wasn't it? Yeah, Leatherman Mutt, or M-U-T, whatever you M-U-T, want to call it. M-U-T, yeah. Uh, the cheapest price I've ever found is at uh, Calgary Shooting Center. So if you don't shop there, you're a communist, I do believe is their catchphrase. And, uh, yeah, so if you actually uh, <laughs> talk to Jeff there, he's a really nice guy, and he'll probably cut you a deal of some sort. And, yeah, I think it's like about 20 bucks cheaper than you can find it anywhere else. I'm going to go there and I'm going to say that that uh, Ian told me that I could have 40% off. <laughs> Just say I'm not a communist. That might actually work. So. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I'll show my tattoos. There will be no question. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So a uh, quick reminder, book club, get reading. It's last, uh, last Sunday in February. So 77 days, uh, September. And that's Ray Gorham, I believe. And uh, yeah, there, there's there's digital copies available online as well as you can order a, a paperback uh, on Amazon, I believe. Yep. And it's uh, there's an audio book available as well. 
link in the show notes. Yep. All right. With that, I will bring episode 104 of the Canadian Prepper podcast to an end. Uh, you can find the podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or of course your favorite podcast app where I will attempt to not be an absentee host. Uh, please help us out and submit a review. It helps other people find us. We do record these shows live on Facebook and YouTube. Uh, you know it's live because Eric doesn't pre- uh, pre-read the show notes and just reads what is, whatever's in front of him. Uh, if you want an early peek at the show, <laughs> please subscribe to the YouTube channel, Canadian Pepper Podcast, and click the notifications tab. That gives you an alert when we're going live. The same thing happens on Facebook. You can find me directly, Alan, that's with one L, at prepperpodcast.ca. And for myself, Hughes, I can be reached at hfxprepper at gmail.com or at Hughes at prepperpodcast.ca. I'm just the interloping guest, so feedback at prepperpodcast.ca works fine for Scott. Right on. You can reach Ian directly by emailing me at thewesternretreat at gmail.com. And you can also find me, somewhat occasionally, I guess now, on Canadian Patriot Podcast on iTunes and YouTube. There you can find us discussing why government waste in society gives me flashbacks. <laughs> please uh, check out uh, Rapid Survival at rapidsurvival.com uh, you can get me there on the live chat uh, while buying some prepper gear uh, you can also email me at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca so thanks for joining us this evening and until next time be prepared stay safe and keep learning <laughs> <laughs>